Hey, guys, welcome back. Good morning. It's time to dismiss the kids. You have a lesson all planned for them, uploaded. So we're going to drop that link in there right now. So if you have another device set up for your kids, awesome. Uh, send them over there. We were just laughing because apparently you were talk over Aaron just now. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's kind of funny. Making fun of ourselves. Um, but uh, anyway, get the kids <laughs> over there. You guys, you like, you know, we're a bit of a mess here, right? You know that. And we kind of, we kind of enjoy being a mess. Um, it's, you guys know we're, we're reading through Luke. By the way, uh, I know we have a lot of you guys joining us. I saw my uncle who's doing missionary work in Nicaragua. Calvin was even watching. So hey, uncle, hope you guys are doing well down there. Um, we miss all you guys. It's, it's different talking to an empty sanctuary, that's for sure. And we miss uh, seeing your, your faces. Um, and we know it's not going to be too much longer, we hope and pray. Um, but we're going to dive into Luke <coughs> this morning. So um, let's pray briefly. Lord, we thank you for this book. We thank you that you stay with us all the time. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for this beautiful chapter. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in our reading, we were in Luke 15 and 16. We're going to focus uh, on chapter 15 this morning. Um, the main reason I, I, I wanted to stay here is these three stories are so, uh, just so linked together. It, it's funny, when, when we preach through the scriptures, especially when you're in the gospel, sometimes it gets really difficult to know where one story ends and another begins. Um, and sometimes as, as preachers, we sort of have to guess, like, is this the exact same situation? Um, is he responding still to that question in the last chapter or whatever? This one is very cohesive. We have the setting and we have three stories he tells as a result of who's there and what's going on. So let's dive right in. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, who is Jesus speaking, uh, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we're going to pause here. Who are the sinners? Well, they're the usual suspects, of course. By way of review, we've seen this over and over again throughout the book of Luke. It, the marginalized are very attracted to Jesus. So you've got, uh, you know, the drunkards, the prostitutes, the adulterers, those who have been pushed to the fringes. They smell hope on Jesus, and they flock to him. He also mentions the tax collectors. And this is a different kind of group because it's interesting. These guys aren't like the oppressed in society. In fact, you could, you could argue they were on the other side, that they were some of the oppressors. They were working with the, the Roman Empire, basically against their own people. They're extorting taxes from their own people uh, and, and lining their own pockets. So uh, these are people that are disliked, all of them. And uh, so Jesus is talking, and they're, they're crowding in. The Pharisees do not like this. They grumble about their presence. So Jesus tells two stories. Um, he tells three stories. He starts with two about lost things. Okay? Here we go. Verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then he tells another one. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I can relate very much to the story because this week, this very week, I lost my glasses. And I was exceedingly annoyed because I had to come to work wearing my pair of dollar store plastic major hipster glasses that are uncomfortable and, you know, and just kind of gross. And, and, and I was so irritated. And for two days, I, I had these, and, and I'm just walking around squinting. And I, I get home, and I'm like, I got to find these things. I'm so sick of it. So I took my phone and, and turned, on the, turned on the light. So I lit the lamp, right? <laughs> and, and it just occurred to me, I wonder if they were on the foot of my bed, and I accidentally knocked them down between the mattress and the bed frame. And, and so I go, and I, I go, and I look under the bed, right at the foot of the bed, and I reach down, and I feel something, and it's hard and flat, and I pull it out, and it's my Amazon Kindle that I had lost three months ago, and I thought was gone forever. I thought it had gotten stolen, and, and it, it, it was there the whole time. And I grabbed it, and I ran into the living room, and I said, Sarah, rejoice with me, I have found my Kindle. Maybe I didn't say rejoice with me, but I, that was my attitude. I found it. Can you believe it? This is so exciting because I love my Kindle. I love reading at night, but I hate reading off my phone. And, and so I was so excited. And then I thought, I still don't have my glasses though. I definitely can't read without my glasses unless I make that font, you know, really, really big. So I go and I light my lamp again and I go down and I reach down right where the Kindle was and sure enough, my glasses are there too. No idea how that happened, but there they were. See, when you lose something of value and you find it, that's cause for rejoicing. And this is precisely the problem Jesus is highlighting here. There's no rejoicing for these Pharisees. They're not rejoicing. And it's like, why aren't you guys rejoicing? You guys of all people, because he calls them lovers of money. He really hits them for that in the, in the next chapter. And he's like, you guys of all people would certainly rejoice if you found something of value that you had lost. But here, there's human beings, there's people of value who have been lost and are now being found. And you're not rejoicing. So then he tells a third story. And this is a very... Uh, well-known story. This is the traditional parable of the lost son. And I'm not going to read it because it's long and most of us are very familiar with it, but we'll talk through it here. Um, this, this is a, a more traditional parable. And the point of these is not, the reason you, you, you tell a parable is, is not to see what happens in the story, but it's to see how people react to what happens in the story. You with me? You can't even tell me. I'm hearing Teresa Donovan going, yes, we hear you. Very good. Thank you, Teresa. Um, we keep going. Uh, here's, the, here's the story. A man has two sons. The younger son comes and says, Dad, I would like my inheritance now. I don't want to live with you anymore in this house. I want to go, you know, make my, my own life. And basically he was saying, you're better dead to me than alive. And the father, even though that wounds him, he, he lets the son go. He gives him the inheritance. And we know what happens. He very quickly squanders his money and finds himself penniless working with pigs 
and jealous of their breakfast. And, and it, it occurs to him, you know, when I was with my dad, even the servants had three square meals a day. So maybe I can go back and be a servant. And so he makes the long trek home and he turns down the driveway. And the minute he turns down the driveway, he sees his father running toward him, more undignified than he's ever seen him before. He's running and he's screaming and he's got this massive smile and he's showing his knees, which in that culture was like a big deal. This would have been like him jumping out of the shower or something. Like he's so excited and he gets to him and he just like, yeah, in my, in my imagination, he tackles him, right? Ah! And he screams out, get his robe, get the ring, you know, order a million pizzas and, and get, the, get the hottest band in town. We're having a huge party. So he restores him. He even gives him his old room back. Now, you'd think everything would be great, but if you're listening to this story and you're a Pharisee, what are you thinking? I think they're immensely disappointed by this development because they were hoping he would get punished or at least a good tongue lashing. But he doesn't. He gets restored. And the moment they start resenting that, they start resenting him and the father for that, bam, that's when Jesus gets them. Because remember, it's all about their reaction. And when they feel that, they're, oh gosh, oh. It flushed out the reaction in their hearts and what they were really feeling. What they... The truth in their hearts is that they didn't have grace. They only had judgment. And then he makes it really, really plain by writing them into the story. They weren't there in the first two, parables of lost things, but in this one he writes them in. The older brother comes in. He comes in from the fields, and he sees what's happening. He sees that his little brother's returned, and he proceeds to get really angry and basically read his father his resume. It goes something like this. You know what, Dad? I have worked for you for 18 years, six months, three weeks, and two days. I've never missed a day. I never call in sick. And when I get home, I bring you your slippers and make you a cup of chamomile. And you have never, ever, ever thrown a party like this for me. Now, the father shows grace for him too. And says, your brother was lost and now he's found. He tries to get him to come join the party. Again, let's go back to the listeners. What are they thinking? What are the Pharisees thinking? Because I think they're going, "Mm." they feel like, yeah, he's right. He's right. But what about you? How do you feel about that? Scott McKnight, the great New Testament scholar, pointed this out. And, uh, and I, I love this. I thought he was right on. He says, in this day and age, it's easy for us to relate, to, to, to find sympathy for the younger son. Because we want to see that reunion, that heartfelt, tearful reunion, uh, him coming home. We want to see that trending in the viral videos and on Uproxx or Bored Panda or all of these that'll just steal the video and put their watermark on it. We love that. Oh, look at this tear-filled reunion. It's so beautiful. We have a lot of grace for him. But many of us, not so much for the older brother. We see and we're, we're half hoping that the father gives him a tongue lashing. We go, oh man, send him back out into the field. Send him to his room. What a jerk. He won't even join the party. If you start to resent the older brother, then guess what? Jesus gets you too with that parable. He tricked you into showing your own heart. Because if you resent him, then basically you have the same heart as the older brother toward the older brother. And suddenly we're all legalists. 
It's sort of like the, you remember the, the great little scenario of the, the two men praying, the Pharisee and the, the tax collector, and, and they're praying, and the, the Pharisee's like, oh God, thank you that I'm not like him. Thank you, Lord, that I am not an extortioner, that I'm not unjust. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not an adulterer, that I'm not like that tax collector back there. And the tax collector is like, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. It's easy for us to read that and and go, man, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. That guy's a jerk. Thank you, Lord, I'm not like him. And all the irony sirens are going off. See, that's what, that's what the, this, uh, this parable does. You can, you can resent the younger brother for being rebellious, and you can resent the older brother for being proud. But if we do either, we show that we don't have the heart of Jesus. That's the genius of this parable. It's not about what happens in the story. It's about our reaction to what happens. And you know what happens in this story? Grace happens. <laughs> Grace goes all directions, as Scott McKnight says, everywhere. Grace spills out from the father onto the prodigal. It spills out onto the older brother. It spills out even onto the servants and onto the neighbors and the caterers. They all get blessed because of the father's heart. They all get blessed. 360 degrees of grace. That'd be a great t-shirt, Joe the intern, why don't you? Get right on that. 360 degrees of grace. He gives it to everyone. Let me ask you, how do you feel? How do you feel about grace being given to people who infuriate you? Shockingly irresponsible people, maybe. Maybe those people drive you crazy, like the younger brother. How does it hit you when something good happens? Like when they get honored, when they come home and they don't get what they deserve. How does that make you feel? Or conversely, how do you feel when the legalist gets grace? When something good happens to those who have been rigid and holier than thou? Does that hurt a little bit? The truth is, they have a lot in common, those two. The older brother and the younger brother have a lot in common. They're both lost. Neither deserve grace, but both desperately need it. You know one of the reasons the, the younger son deserves more grace than he gets? It wasn't all his fault. That's the reason. Did you, did you know that there was a famine that happened in this story? Because I read this so many times, and I never noticed the famine until I heard somebody talking about it. I think it was, I think it was Tim Mackey talking about it. Right, it's right there in verse 14. A severe famine hits the land after he, he runs out of money. Now, if it wasn't for the famine, he could have just gone and got a job at Starbucks and, and got a sensible apartment and kept going with, on with life, but the economy crashes because of a famine. Uh, Tim Mackey pointed this out. He said, again, if it's him, forgive me, whoever that was, if it wasn't him. But he said in, in uh, a lot of Eastern cultures, that's the thing people remember about this parable, about the younger son. We in the West, all we remember is the son squandering his money on parties. But the truth is, with many, many prodigals out there, probably all prodigals out there. There's the products of really bad decisions, but there's also terrible things that have befallen people. The older brother never once mentions the famine. All he mentions is the bad decisions. But the truth is, that younger son needed grace, not only for the things he had done, but grace because of the things that had happened to him. There's a lot of those out there who were lost because of terrible things that have happened to them. 
And yes, I know they've made poor choices. But this father in this story and this father in heaven has grace and wants him to come home, wants to give grace for all of them. And it's true too about the older brother. He also needs compassion. He also needs grace because he's never seen himself from the outside before. One of my favorite writers of the 20th century was Henry Nouwen. And he wrote this. Frankly, I have never thought of myself as the elder son. But once I was confronted with that possibility, countless ideas started running through my head. When I was six years old, I already wanted to become a priest. I never changed my mind. I was born, baptized, confirmed, and ordained in the same church. And had always been obedient to my parents, teachers, my bishops, and my God. I have never run away from home, never wasted my time on money, on sensual pursuits, and had never gotten lost in debauchery and drunkenness. For my entire life, I have been quite responsible, traditional, and homebound. But with all that, I may in fact have been just as lost as the younger brother. I suddenly saw myself in a completely new way. I saw my jealousy, anger, my touchiness, darkness, and sullenness, and most of all, my subtle self-righteousness. I saw how much of a complainer I was and how much of my thinking and feeling was ridden with resentment. I had been working very hard on my father's farm, but I never fully tasted the joys of being at home. Wherever you find an older brother in this world, wherever you find that legalist that, who struggles in hypocrisy, my friend, hear me. That person needs grace. You know why? Because at the end of the day, he's just a sinner. That's all. He's just a broken soul in need of forgiveness, just like the prodigal. He's really not any different. He's not in a separate category. He's not a sinner 2.0. He's just a sinner who hasn't realized the grace that's coming in his direction. So what if we, as sons and daughters of the Most High, fully embraced that truth that God desires to give grace to all people? What if we really grabbed onto that? What would change? Think about what would change if the church in America grabbed onto that? I think the first thing that would change is, is that we wouldn't get so caught up in this whole us versus them nonsense, you know? The church against the world, the godly versus the ungodly. Because we know that we're still in need of grace too. And that even the lost have a place at God's banquet table, so we want them to get blessed in the middle of this messy life. And I think it would, it would change the way we did all kinds of things. It would change our social relationships. It would change our business relationships. It would change even the way that we talk and act in politics. Because it wouldn't just be about us, like the church getting our own or, or something. And it's easy to get caught up in that. But if we truly believed grace goes in all directions, then we would have the heart of compassion that the Father in this story has to welcome people home. I don't care what side of it you're on. Maybe you relate more to the prodigal. Maybe to the older brother. Maybe you oscillate day by day. I think I do. But the point is, if we really have grace for one another, uh, then we can all enter into the joy of celebration because the loss has been found. I think it would also change this to bring it right to our situation here. I think it would change the way uh, that we talk about and we treat one another even during this time of crisis with, with COVID-19 and the quarantine. 
I do. I think it would, it would give us grace for those who have a lot of fear for the virus and for the numbers and don't think this quarantine is worth it, think it's going too far. And it would give us grace also for those who, who, who uh, fear for the economy, even if we think that's a secondary concern. Whatever side you're on, whatever our opinions are in any of this, if, if we truly said, Lord, I want to have grace for that person and understand the fears that they have, understands the hits that they've taken, understand their perspective truly to give grace on all sides, I think that would radically change uh, uh, the, the entire uh, uh, way that we talk and love one another. So I want to invite you into that. There's great reward, friends. No matter who we are, no matter who we relate to in this story, we have the privilege of receiving God's omnidirectional celebration. And we have the privilege of inviting the world into that too. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this parable. We pray, Lord, that you would drain us of self-righteousness. No matter who we relate to, no matter how we see this, Lord, help us to be humble as we approach you and not forget the grace we ourselves have been given and still require, still desperately need. But we thank you for your example in this scripture and, and how true this has been in our lives. You have always been there for us and you have not treated us uh, with the, the punishment that we've deserved. So we thank you for your forgiveness and we thank you that you celebrate. We want to celebrate too. I pray your blessing on our people. I pray that you would watch over them, each of their houses. I pray there would be shalom in their relationships, shalom with their children and in their marriages, shalom in their friendships with their roommates. Lord, come, be with us, dwell with us, and fill our hearts with hope. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being with us. We'll keep the live feed on for a few minutes. Uh, blessings on each and every one of you. Sorry? Oh, if you need prayer, we have the, the slide, right? If you need prayer, putting that slide up, you can text us right now. We would be happy to pray with you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.